0: With me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. This morning at verses 1 through 22. Exodus uh, chapter 13. This morning we want to look at Exodus uh, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No unleavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals Their males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go... God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Pray together. Father, guide us as we turn to study your word now, we pray for the light of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the scriptures, and pray that by them our souls would be fed, and we would know you better, and we would worship you more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine you have just become a Christian. Now what? Or, as is the case with many, if not most of you, uh, that you've been a Christian for some time. And uh, you may still be faced with the question, now what? Or so what? What happens next? What does the Lord want me to do? Well, the situation of Israel at this point is very similar to someone who has just become a Christian. Maybe it's somebody with no church background or little church background, uh, they've heard the gospel, they have believed, but then the question is now what? And how that question is answered, what happens next, is very important. Well, that's true for Israel. Uh, the Lord, by the ten plagues, has finally broken the stubborn unwillingness of Pharaoh to let Israel go. And with the tenth and final plague, with the death of the firstborn in Egypt, he not only lets them go, he tells them to go. He tells them to get out. And all of Egypt wants Israel to get out because they are being destroyed. They are dying. And so they tell them to, to get out. Now, we saw where the text tells us that they had been in Egypt for 430 years, most of that time as slaves. 430 years may help to put that in perspective a little bit that if you think of going back from now 430 years, it would put you in the year 1580. That's a long time ago that's a long time to remember. Uh, Joseph is a dim memory, let alone Abraham goes back a long time. Now, God has brought them out. Israel, or Egypt rather, has has told them to get out, and they're leaving. But the question arises, now what? What happens next? Well, and what happens next is very important. The Lord knows that in many ways he has basically a blank slate on his hands. Uh, They may have had some knowledge of the promises to Abraham, but again, uh, that really was not a part of their daily existence in Egypt, other than perhaps maybe to wonder if any of that was real and where God is and what he's doing about all these things. And on the one hand, as the Lord brings them out, he doesn't want them to become overwhelmed. And on the other hand, uh, he knows that there are certain things that they need to know, that they need to understand. Now, this chapter, chapter 13, kind of answers the now what. And then chapter 14 picks up then with the Red Sea and goes on from there. But they've come out of Egypt. Now what? Well, the Lord basically, without overwhelming them, boils down to three things that they need to understand, three things they need to know. And uh, interestingly, those those same three things are things that it's helpful for a new Christian to know, to understand and helpful for even a mature Christian to be reminded of and to remember. What are they? Well, three things. First of all, to understand that as God's people, we belong to God. It's not just that we know God. It's not just that we know about God. It's not even just that we have a relationship with God. It is that we belong to God. We are his possessions. As the, as the Old Testament phrase says, we are his treasured possession." He owns us. He bought us. We belong to him. We see this in the first two verses of chapter 13. And uh, then going down to to verse 11, where uh, we pick up again with this idea of God uh, owning his people, that they belong to God. And it has to do with this whole process of the consecration of the firstborn. Uh, Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn." The word consecrate there is the same word that could be translated in other ways holy or to make holy. Uh, As you may know, the word holy, we tend to think of it as in terms of how you live. But the root idea of the word is not so much how you live, but being set apart to something, being dedicated to something. Whereas the word is here being consecrated to something, set apart to something. And because you are set apart to something, it affects then how you live. Well, notice what he says in verse 2. Set apart for me, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. By the way, that's the verse that's quoted when Jesus is redeemed as the firstborn uh, in his home. So many years later, that was still in practice, and that, that was the reason given for it there. Uh, so this setting apart of the firstborn, whether of man or of animal, why? What, what is what is that all about? Well, verse eleven uh, and, and on um, goes back to to relate all of this to Egypt and to what happened there. Uh, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as He swore to you, your fathers gives it to you. You shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens. The womb, and again repeats the instructions, the firstborn of your animals. Every firstborn of a donkey, particularly, shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you won't redeem it, you have to kill it. Uh, With the animals, the firstborn had to be sacrificed, had to be set apart to the Lord. Uh, Obviously, they weren't to sacrifice their sons, but they did redeem their sons, their firstborn, with a sacrifice uh, and sometimes a payment to indicate that that firstborn particularly belonged to the Lord. Again, why? Well, it has to do with the tenth plague. When God went through Egypt and the firstborn of each household died, even the firstborn among animals died, and Israel was spared because they put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts, the Lord is in effect saying, you owe me your firstborn. I spared them, I redeemed them and they belong to me. Now, in acknowledging that, they could sacrifice it or kill it in the case of the donkey, or they could pay a redemption price uh, in terms of a sacrifice or an offering uh, to redeem it. You see, God's concern was not just with the firstborn. That was just sort of a token uh, acknowledgement that they all belonged to him. That they all had been redeemed by the Lord. But that firstborn was sort of a tithe that acknowledged that they all For the possession of the Lord. And so you have this this sacrifice, this redemption of the firstborn. And again, as we saw in Luke chapter 2, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And cite verse 2 there. Now, this was to be a way of, of bearing testimony to their children of the saving acts of the Lord. We belong to the Lord. That's why we do this. You see that. Uh, verse 14, when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You tell him how the Lord brought you out of Egypt. It's a way of bearing witness to the next generation who didn't experience the exodus of what God had done, the mighty works of God. Verse 15, when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, firstborn of man, firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Again, God never instructed nor condoned child sacrifice to say, what about Abraham and Isaac? Well, it was a test of Abraham's faith, but in the end, the Lord provided the ram who died in the place of Isaac. Now, he says in verse 16, it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, something that's there present constantly, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Well, that's great, but what does that mean for us? Well, the same principle is true for us. You and I are also a redeemed people. Egypt uh, suffered the death of the firstborn. Uh, Israel was spared. And God not only spared their firstborn, but he himself brought them out of their slavery to be his own people. Well, that's true of us as well in Christ Jesus. You and I were under the judgment of God. You and I deserve the sentence of death. But God in his grace himself provided the lamb that was slain, whose blood covers us and atones for our sin, so that we are bought back from slavery. We are bought back from death is what the idea uh, of the word redeem is, to be bought back out of death, out of slavery, and now we belong to the Lord. Now, we've seen, that's very explicit here in Exodus 13, But you find that same language in the New Testament, either implied or sometimes explicitly stated. Think of 1 Corinthians 6, uh, the end of the chapter, where Christ himself is our redemption. Paul has been talking about the problem of sexual immorality in the church in Corinth, and this is what he says to them, uh, 1 Corinthians six twenty nine. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now listen, this is what he says. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. We need to have that mentality as Christian people. It's not just that, you know, I have a relationship with God. It's not just that I know the Lord. It is, I am the Lord's. I belong to the Lord's. You can no longer say as a Christian, it's my life and I'll do what I want to do. You can no longer say as a Christian, it's my body and I'll do what I want with it. No, you have been bought with the blood of Jesus. You are owned by the Lord. You belong to the Lord. And that is why we are obligated to obey the Lord's commands. They I think, what's with that? We've gone from slavery to sin and death to slavery to God? You know, did, 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 did Israel go from slavery in Egypt just now to become slaves of the Lord? Yes and no. They were owned by the Lord. He bought them. He possesses them because He spared them and because He delivered them. You and I belong to the Lord. He owns us because He bought us with the blood of Christ out of sin and death. However, Slavery, ownership, was never so sweet. Remember what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are heavy and, and weary, because my yoke is easy. His ownership of us is something that's good. It's something that protects. It's something that blesses. And my burden is light. Now, he said that in a context of another kind of Slavery. Israel was suffering from in many cases, and that was the slavery of the legalism of the Pharisees who heap up rule upon rule, man-made law upon man-made law, uh, not only adding to the law of God, but in some cases by their laws and traditions, uh, doing an end run around the law of God, justifying their disobedience to God's law by obedience to their own law. Jesus, of course, you know, took them to task for that. But Jesus says, you come to me, you believe in me, Uh, You become mine and you'll find that my yoke, unlike that legalism of the Pharisees and certainly unlike the, the, the slavery of sin, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It is a pleasure, it is a delight to belong to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is you're going to belong to something. You are going to be owned by something. You are either owned by your own fallen sinful nature, which leads to death, or you are owned by the Lord in Christ Jesus in his redemption, which leads to life. So the first thing we need to understand is that we belong to God. We are his. He bought us with a price. Israel needed to know that. Second thing they needed to know, not only as they come out now, they're they're, they're God's people. Now what? Well, they they belong to the Lord and the sacrifice of the, the firstborn uh, or the redemption of the firstborn son, indicated that. But also, they need to remember God. They need to remember what he did. Now, see this in verses 3 through 10, where again Moses gives the people instruction. And one reason this seems to be repetitive is because sometimes it's the Lord giving it to Moses. Uh, and as here, Moses telling the people what the Lord had told him. So we're getting both accounts of it. But scripture intends that repetition. It's important to hear that repetition. Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. By the strength of hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And the the, the week-long feast of unleavened bread, the the lack of leaven, again, signifying the haste and urgency with which they came out of Egypt, uh, signifying uh, a break with uh, that, that past, now beginning a new uh, but again, the importance of remembering what the Lord has done and not just they themselves. But transmitting the memory of that to the next generation again, uh, as with the, the redemption of the firstborn, verse eight, you shall tell your son on that day. Now, early it said when your son asks, as we saw last time, but this time it says when you tell him, it assumes that parents will tell their children what the Lord has done. You say it's because of what the Lord did for me. When I came, and not just for us, but for me, when I came out of Egypt, it'll be a sign, it'll be to you as a sign on your hand, as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Now, later, the Jews actually took that literally and developed these boxes. They would sometimes put scriptures in, and the boxes would go on their, on their hand, or and it would go on their forehead. Uh, they would call them phylacteries, literally applying what it says. Now, this isn't calling for anything of the sort. It's just saying that the Feast of Unleavened Bread would be as if you had these things on your hand, as if you had them on your forehead. They're just there. They're always there to remind you, to make you remember who God is and what he's done. Now, as the tendency with anything external like that, it can kind of become a tradition all its own. And you may recall that Jesus took exception to the Pharisees, uh, where he uh, where he uh, takes them to task in Matthew twenty three he says of them they do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries those boxes lo- uh, broad and their fringes long so they didn't just have you know a little box with some scripture verses they made that thing big people needed to see it you know this is how holy I am I've got a big box on my forehead okay well <laughs> Jesus didn't criticize them necessarily for the spirit of it. He criticized them because they were just trying to win the approval of men, uh, which he had no time for that, uh, to do their deeds to be seen by men rather than a heart that was, simply wants to honor God. That's not what it's calling for here. And by the way, he mentioned that again, as we saw in verse 16, regarding this, the redemption of the firstborn. It'll be to you as a mark on your hand, frontlets between your eyes. It, it's there, something present to remind you. That's, that's his only point. Um, but he took, he took exception to their desire to to win the approval of men by these big, gaudy, obvious, uh, phylacteries, as they were called. Now, as we talked about the Lord's uh, talked about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we've shown how now in the New Covenant, the Lord's Supper is that meal by which we remember. But it's not just to be a, a once a month thing. It's not even to be a once a week thing. It's a daily thing that we remember what the Lord has done. And that we tell our children what the Lord has done. Just as there would come a generation that didn't know that experience of how God brought them out of Egypt, that didn't live through that. Well, we as parents may have experienced a, a, a conversion to Christ at some point in life, childhood, adulthood. But um, we don't assume that our children have. We tell them what God has done. We tell them of the Savior. Uh, we tell them of the need to themselves repent and believe in Jesus. They can't be saved by their parents' faith, but to trust in Jesus themselves and be saved. Again, to remember. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 8, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. The Lord's Supper the word of God served to remind us, to bring to memory who God is and what he's done for that. And we've seen that, that emphasis as, as the exodus is happening. And now as they've come out of Egypt, the Lord wants them to remember, never forget what he has done for them. And don't let their children be ignorant of it either. We belong to God. We remember God. Both of these things he wanted to teach them then, wants us to know now. And then finally, we follow God. On a, on a daily basis, and you see this in the last part of the chapter, 17 through 22. Um, interesting, the Lord's concern for them. He didn't lead them up the, the most straight way. If you look from Egypt, and you know, look look at the book of maps in your Bible, um, you'll you know the, the most direct way would be to go up through the territory of the Philistines up to the land of Canaan. But the Lord didn't want them to suddenly come out of Egypt only to find themselves at war. And so he leads them by a different route. And then we read, you know, the route they took. We also read in 19 that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. And when the Lord brings you out of here, take my bones with you. He wanted to be in Canaan. He wanted to be back in his ancestral homeland. Um, the Lord had told Abraham that they would be enslaved, but he would bring them out. Joseph spoke of that. Joseph foresaw that one day God would lead the Israelites, his descendants, out of Egypt. And he said, when, you, when that happens, take my bones. And that's exactly what they did. They, they took Joseph's remains with them. How did the Lord lead them? Verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, by night and a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He would be there with them. He would lead them. They had his presence with them, symbolized by this pillar of cloud in the day, the pillar of fire at night, and he would go before them. He would lead the way before them. And we read in our passage earlier in Numbers 9, um, speaking of repetition, uh, how, how, how much he emphasizes that when the the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, stays put, you stay put. And when that pillar moves on, then you move on. If it stays put for a month, you just stay put. You don't leave there. And if it moves every day, you pack up camp in the morning, you go, you set up camp at night, pack up camp in the morning, you do what God leads you to do. But don't do anything other than what God is doing there. And He would go before them. He would lead the way. Uh, you may be familiar with the um, the uh, Irish missionary Amy Carmichael, who uh, spent many, many years uh, in India as a missionary. Um, in the flyleaf of her Bible, she has written in big letters, He goeth before, which is actually uh, a quotation from John, Gospel of John, where Jesus is talking about his sheep and leading his sheep. John chapter 10 Verse 4, that of course for her was the King James Version. He goeth before, uh, in the ESV we read, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, there have been times in my life I sure wished I had a big pillar of cloud I could just follow and know what to do and when to go. And, uh, but the Lord hasn't left us to our own devices. He's given us his Holy Spirit and he has given us his word. Jesus said in John 16, uh, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And of course, he guides us by his written word in conjunction with the Holy Spirit today. God still leads may not be in a visible, so obvious way, but he leads us in a more mature way by giving us his Holy Spirit dwelling within us himself and, of course, by the objective standard of his word so that we don't mistake the leading of the Holy Spirit to do something that actually be contrary to God's will. We have the word and the spirit and the two work together. Just as he went before Israel, he goes before us today. And you want to be careful. Knowing God's will can be a a tricky thing. Uh, We want to know the scriptures well, live by them. And sometimes God may leave us to make a decision. And only in hindsight do we see how the Lord has led us. But I'll tell you, God does not play games with you. If you are trusting him, looking to him, seeking his will, desiring to obey him, he's not going to lead you astray. If you head off in the wrong direction, he'll bring you back. He'll watch over you. He's he's with you. He does uh, go before and his presence is with us. And so, what does a a new Christian need to know? What what comes next? What does a, a mature Christian need to know? What next? Well, exactly what the Lord was telling Israel here, that we belong to the Lord, we're his, we've been bought at a price, that we need every day to remember him, to remember what he's done, and to remember that we are the redeemed people of the Lord, and then to remember that he is with us, He is an existential, day-by-day reality in our lives, that there is a relationship there with him, Uh, and particularly as it comes through his Holy Spirit in us, through his word before us, he leads us, he's with us, he goes before us, prepares the way before. Well, this passage, this chapter, is about redemption. In effect, it explains the exodus, what it meant, that Israel now belongs to God, they remember him, they follow him. Well, the same is true. You and I have been bought by the blood of the, uh, blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are to live in conscious knowledge of God each day. We are to remember that he does lead us and that we follow him. And so I ask you, Christian, today, this week, what next? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that these things are recorded for us in your scripture uh, Father, we have not been let out of, uh, of Egypt itself, not out of physical slavery, but Lord, we have been let out of slavery and bondage to sin. Father, we pray uh, that we would know the reality of being yours, belonging to you, bought by Jesus. Father, that you would be uh, a conscious presence, Lord, in our mind as we remember you, certainly in the Lord's Supper, certainly in the preaching of the Word, uh, but in a daily basis. And Father, Um, we pray that we would know what it is to be led by you, to know what it is to have you go before us, to know what it is to have your presence with us and to live in that relationship of trust and dependence on you every day. Father, we thank you that this is our calling, that this is our life until that day when you lead us into that Canaan, into that land flowing with milk and honey, into that new heavens and the new earth that you have for us. And we look forward to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.